Welcome to the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart-centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Heart-Centered Therapist podcast. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host, and today I am really, really delighted and honored to bring you my guest. Her name is Jody Gale, and she is from Sydney, Australia. Jody got up and met with me at 5.30 in the morning on a Saturday just to share with my listeners her wisdom. So I'm super, super grateful to Jody. Let me tell you a little about her. Jody Gale, MA, is the founder of the Psychosynthesis Center for Therapists, Trauma Warriors, the Soul Sessions with Jody Gale podcast, and Jody Gale Soul Centered Therapy for Women. She is a clinical supervisor private practice business coach, trainer, facilitator, and an eco-psycho-spiritual registered clinical psychotherapist on the northern beaches of Sydney, Australia, and online. Jody has over 20 years of experience in private pay, private practice, and has built two thriving practices, one in London and one at home in Sydney, Australia. Jody is passionate about helping therapists blog their way to private practice success. She is known as the blogging expert in the therapy world. So if you haven't met Jody, welcome to our show. Hello, Jody. Hi, good morning. Oh, it's morning my time. <laughs> How are you? Good. Yes, it's it's late afternoon my time. So I love uh -huh. have an international show today. I love to start by asking my guest, since this is called the Heart Centered Therapist Podcast, mm. what does a heart centered therapist mean to you? Yeah, I really loved this question because the type of therapy that I studied, so I studied back in the UK. Uh, I was living over, I lived over there for about 15 years. I studied psychosynthesis and it, it has sort of different bylines. So one of them is psychosynthesis, uh, the therapy with the soul. And the other one is a psychotherapy of love. So when I read about heart-driven, I went to thinking about, you know, most of our client concerns are centered around love or lack thereof. So being heart-centered to me means that we must love our clients to bits. And I always have this really strong reaction when I see people in uh, Facebook groups have that sort of that model where they've been trained at a college where it says you can't love your clients. And I think, oh, my goodness, how is this person going to heal if we don't love them? So to me, that's what being heart-driven means. And I think, Stut they, you know, the show Stutz, there was a lot of controversy around that. I love you, Jonah. I love you, Stutz. And everyone was up in arms about it. And I'm thinking, oh, at last, someone's finally coming clean about a therapist loving their patient. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's what it means to me. Yes, absolutely. And and I did not plant you here, but people who know me know that I say the same thing, that it's so oh. love our clients. I really believe that. I share that with my student interns and mm -hmm. people I work with. I think it's super important. And I did read your blog on Stutz. It's amazing. Oh. 
So we can put a link to that in the show notes too. But yes, that was really, really eye-opening. And I think it, it did a lot for therapists to have a little bit more like real personality and, and personhood and heart and soul come through. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's great. I, I believe in, in leading with love as part of the heart-centered therapist model. So we're we're right aligned. We are. <laughs> Psychosynthesis is not as common, I don't think, here in the United States. And so mm. know a little bit about what is this approach, psychosynthesis? Um, I've heard you describe it as the ecosomo, ecosoma social psycho-spiritual model for working with growth, transformation, crises, and trauma. Mm. Yeah, so um, we were just chatting before uh, we started, and I was I mentioned that uh, one of our colleagues, Nicole Burgess, was trained trained in psychosynthesis in the US, and I think Asajoli Jolie was a Florentine, and he's the founder of psychosynthesis. He there's sort of two cohorts. There was the British cohort, and then there was the Californian cohort. And so, is it? I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this correctly. Pa- Paolo Alto. Yeah. Somewhere there, there was quite a big cohort. So there is psychosynthesis training in the US. It has tended more towards a coaching model these days. So what we would call, and I know this is going to be a whole heap of therapists out there freaking out when I say this, it's a psychotherapeutic coaching model. So what that means is, is that I think because of the pathologization of everyday concerns, they tend more towards a coaching model than a therapy model over there. Not always, but that it's more of a positive psychology model. So what it is is that Asajoli, he I think he trained under Freud and he felt that psychoanalysis was useful but limited and he was Jewish. So what he did was he incorporated his spirituality, so the Kabbalah, into psychotherapy very early on, so back in the, around 1910, and uh, then he included Buddhism, Indigenous psychology, and so it became known as a, a, a mix of, uh, he, I think he was actually a neurologist, so a mix of science and spirituality. And he was very, he was determined to um, have psychosynthesis be seen as a legitimate scientific model. And so at a recent conference here in Australia, I saw Dan Siegel speak about, um, I hate this word, but he says we, so it's it's me and we. And I thought, oh, yeah. And so I thought, oh, finally, science is starting to catch up if Dan Siegel's talking about it. So a um, hundred years later, but Asajoli used to basically, I think it was the first truly holistic model because he used to bring all the other therapies into his model. And that's why when we say ecosoma social, we're really drawing on, I think, the best of Western psychology and Eastern spirituality. So, and over the years, there's a couple of us who have really moved towards ecotherapy, which I did in the pandemic. We had a couple of really lengthy lockdowns here. I think the last one was 20 weeks, and I went through a existential crisis, dark night of the soul. And found myself studying ecotherapy for the year and just going and sitting in the dark woods and really working, like, when is this pandemic going to end? Are we all going to die? 
you know, when's my existential crisis going to end? And luckily I I felt, um, thank goodness, I'd been trained in a psychospiritual psychotherapy because I understood what, what was happening. Most people probably would have gone and been medicated for depression or something like that. For me, it was a spiritual crisis, stroke awakening, and we're trained to work with these presentations without pathologizing them. So, yeah, that's psychosynthesis in a nutshell. Yes. Wow. Thank you for that really deep and fascinating introduction to it. I love the way it integrates all of these approaches, the, like you said, the Eastern and the Western and the spirituality as well, and that that's such a foundation and that, you know, sharing with us even vulnerably your own personal struggle and having your own spiritual dark night of the soul and mm. to this um, self-growth way through it, which was, you know, not easy. Instead, you could have been treated with medication or self-medicate or, you know, done any number of the other things that the rest of us did, you know, gain weight or. (laughs) Oh, I did that too. (laughs) But having that foundation is, is so important, especially as Mm. we use what we do also with ourselves. And that's. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's a lot of emphasis then in psychosynthesis on personal growth and self that positive psychology and less on pathology. Oh, absolutely. You know, I I think one of the problems you have in the US is insurance (laughs) and the need to diagnose. And, you know, my my training was an eight-year depth psychotherapy training. I guess it's most aligned to like a Jungian Jungian analyst training, but from a, um, well, Jung was also a colleague of Asajoli, but, you know, more of an emphasis on that transpersonal aspect. In the US, because of insurance where people have to diagnose and give people some kind of mental illness or mental disorder, in psychosynthesis we don't do that. We would say, for example, you know, I'm, I'm sort of thinking I'm, I'm trained to recognise borderline personality disorder, but we don't see it like that. We would see that as a result of trauma. And so we don't label people with disorders. We would, we would actually ask, and my, my niche actually is eating disorders. I don't even like that word. I see eating disorders as a very creative way to manage early childhood trauma. And so why are we pathologizing this person with some disorder or disease? So, uh, yeah, and we're always looking for what is this, um, inverted commas, disorder calling for us to awaken to in ourselves. So this dark night of the soul, for example, you know, you you could have seen it as a depression, but for me it was what what is this actually calling for me to awaken to? And for me, I was living, you know, um, I I made a collage card where I had this woman, not with one hair clip in, but she had like 50 in her hair. And so I was living a very unconscious life, like too much stuff, too many things, too much travel without thinking about the environment. And so for me, the you know, the whole pandemic was a call to awaken to let's try and live a little bit differently so we don't completely stuff up this planet, you know. Yes, right. Kind of simplifying yourself and the environment and alignment. Yes. Yeah, and it's interesting because at the beginning of the um, 
of my studying nature therapy throughout that time it was all about what can nature do for me if I go to nature what can what can I get out of this by the end of my training which took a whole year I was like oh what can I do for the planet so it had completely sort of turned on its head you know right yeah and I'm just still going back to that image that came to you of of the woman with the 50 hair clips yep (laughs) and you have when when we first got on you have beautiful hair and it's all in one like long bun on the top of your head that's like sort of encapsulate like you've got to this this different place yeah yeah oh i do love a good bun (laughs) well i you know not coming from the psychosynthesis model but i um, been a firm believer, at least the way I work, that the spiritual context is important and spirituality is important. Mm-hmm. Just assess what whether that matters or is meaningful to the client. And I guess I'd wonder, since you work with this, like what, what happens if we neglect to understand and include a spiritual context in our work? Oh, look, I, you know, I mean, I'll get to our work, but I just think in terms of the look at what's happening in, in the world at the moment. And I think when we neglect spirituality, and I don't mean necessarily religion, although it could be for some, I think the planet is suffering with spiritual bankruptcy, you know, and we're filling this bankruptcy with stuff and addiction and whatever else we're doing conspiracy theories whatever it is it's being filled because of this void and you know we we don't if I mean a client will read my website so they will see uh, that I do talk about spirituality on there but actually 10 years ago I I wouldn't mention the word soul on my you know it was a bit it was a bit woo-woo still but in the last 10 years it's come such a long way and you know, like like I'm talking about, for some people it could be a, a spiritual practice. For other people it could be religion. Uh, you know, I live in Australia, so for Indigenous people it could mean connecting with the land. And even if I don't bring spirituality into the therapy, I'm always holding that as the context for my work. So how do I help this person live a more soulful life? And I don't mean religious soulful life. I just mean a juicy soulful connected life and yeah some people you know freak out at the word spirituality or they've had spiritual abuse or religious abuse so you obviously need to be very careful in languaging around all that stuff so yeah I think when we and also you you have therapists say I work holistically and then there's no mention of spirituality and I think well that's not holistic that's you're missing a huge chunk of someone's life and and, and then we, you know, if we go to the other end of symptoms and back to that pathologizing, you know, most therapists, are, it's the most recognized book on the planet for therapists, and that's Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, finding the value, meaning, and purpose out of our symptoms. So, you know, for me with my eating disorder, I don't have any angst left around that. I think, thank goodness I had that. It probably saved my life. You know, it probably saved my life. So, and and now I've had a very, very good career out of it, you know, with lived experience. So um, that's another way of bringing the spiritual element in that our, our symptoms have meaning. Yes, meaning and, and purpose. And then that healing launched you into a career where you can help others from your own lived experience and, you know, education and wisdom and 
it's it's really quite a gift. Absolutely. And and I, I I really believe that. The other major issue I've had in life was infertility. And I think, you know, when people go through not being able to conceive, I think it was like seven years for my husband and I, you know, it, it's horrendous and it's the end of the world. And now we're parents through foster care to adopt. And I think, oh, thank goodness for, for infertility, because I wouldn't have these amazing children. But I mean, if you would have said that to me while I was going through it, I probably would have punched you in the head or something. But but now it's like, okay, I get it now. Yes. Wow. Right. And so again, that that loss created this huge blessing in your life. That's absolutely. Yeah. So amazing. And, you know, we, I w I was just actually doing group supervision with my, my team of therapists and we were talking about loss and, you know, and I was like, loss is everywhere. Like you just, oh. and, and keep that as a, as a thread, um, a lens when you're working with your clients, because, you know, if somebody even is diagnosed with like, uh, type one diabetes, I said, Hey, mm loss when when was she diagnosed what well, you know what happened in her life then right absolutely and I think as a depth psychotherapist you know what I'm working with um not the symptoms so much but that loss of self and that that, that this person experienced early in their life so yeah it's, it's the it's the basis for a lot of our work most of our work so yes well, I I love that that focus on the self and the soul, and it sounds like a really fascinating approach. And we will definitely link to your website so people can find out more because I know you also teach some training modules on psychosynthesis. I do, I do, and I'm just getting things up online. And of course, every time you go to create something as a business owner, something happens <laughs> like the pandemic or like your teenage daughter wanting to move high schools. And so I'm a little bit behind, <laughs> but I will get there. <laughs> I can relate more than you even know. To that. <laughs> so I'd, I'd like for us to jump into the the really um, the headliner of our mm -hmm. today, which is about your expertise as a blogger and blogging your way to private practice success. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about the benefits of blogging, the intricacies of being a therapist who's practicing yep. blogging. And I, I'd just love for you to start with your story of like, how did you get started blogging? And then we can dive into the... Uh, the benefits and and all of the tips you have for us. So yeah, I think uh when was it? It was just after our kids came to us. So that was 2012. You know, when kids are little, they have that two hours in the day where they have sleep time. And then for me it was quiet time. I used to put a Disney movie on every day. So I could have that sort of two hours of downtime for myself, I think. Back then in Australia, we we, we had the medical model not quite as yeah, it probably is the same as the US. We don't so much have insurance here, but we have Medicare, which means that some therapists can get a, a rebate for their clients. And what that means is that the government gives that rebate. So, But it's only for psychologists and social workers. So those of us trained in counselling and psychotherapy aren't able to get Medicare for our clients. So I was really sort of disturbed about this because what it means is that all GPs in the country only refer to psychology and social work. 
And so those of us like me who are trained in this kind of model, clients basically don't ever get a look in to art therapy, ecotherapy, psychosynthesis therapy, gestalt therapy. So it's literally just a psycho, not just a psychology model. I don't mean it like that, but it's a medical model. And I was really angry about that. So I thought, oh, I'm going to write about this. <laughs> so I had seen my one of my colleagues had written a few blogs. I thought, oh, this is a good outlet for my anger. <laughs> so that's how it kind of started. And I thought, I'm going to change the way people view counselling and psychotherapy in Australia. Because when I moved home from England, which uh, in England, it's massive over there psychotherapy I I don't know maybe because Freud lived in North London or something I psychotherapy wasn't even in the phone book here when I moved home and so I thought I'm going to write specifically about psychotherapy and depth psychotherapy not um, pretend psychotherapy and so that's how it sort of started so yeah, I channeled my I'm going to put the soul back into therapy rather than this what Yalom calls a symptom-orientated, solution-focused, before symptom-orientated, he calls it, you know, six-session therapy. Like that's not psycho. I mean, it's therapy, but it is not psychotherapy. Psychotherapy is a lot longer than that. And so I wanted to educate the public about that. So that's how I started. That's, that's amazing. No, I, I remember years ago I actually shared this with my my podcast manager because we we talked a lot. I said years ago one of my favorite podcasts ever was Clinton Powers, the Australian Counseling Podcast. Oh yeah, that was Clinton Power. Yeah, on his show. Yep, Clinton and I we used to talk almost every day, and I I actually thought whatever Clinton does, I'm going to do that too. And so he was blogging, and I thought, oh yeah, I'm going to start blogging. <laughs> so. And that's where I learned about the Medicare system and different things versus here. But, you know, it was just so fabulous. And I have the utmost respect for him because of what he created with that podcast. It was so educational, so wide ranging. And um, so shout out to Clinton if you ever listen. Oh, yeah. And actually, the podcast is still there to listen to. And I still, when I do coaching, I follow up with um, some coaching steps afterwards. And I always include his his podcast on there, even today, I think it's. And um, it was, and then he moved to um, Ask Juliet and Clinton. And Juliet is Canadian. And she does a great job there in terms of helping people build private practice as well. Right. So, you know, the reason we're talking about this for some of our listeners who are newer therapists, right? Mm. Social media marketing is the norm. But back then, even in 2012, it was not. And even for therapists to advertise themselves to to write blogs was actually very new. Yeah. You know, embraced by universities and the other therapist colleagues that you would have. So this was really cutting edge to start blogging and marketing to that extent back then. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, even today people, well, the the problem we have now is that people would say blogging is dead. And I think, oh, you couldn't be further from the truth because one of the things, the ways that I think about it is that uh, you own your website like you own your home and you rent social media space. Uh, I've had several colleagues who have been locked out of their social media, and uh, one of uh, there's a uh, I can't remember who it was in Australia, but there was someone who had over ten thousand followers, and they couldn't get back in 
their whole business was based on it was Instagram. Their whole business was based around their Instagram following that they and I know they've got another page now, but it has never been as uh, easy to build up because obviously as time's gone by, it's harder and harder. So for me, blogging was you know it's it's a fantastic way to get people to your website, and as we go through the points, you'll see how that um, how that works. So um, yeah, so for me, um, you know, I mean, I've had a blog for what 20 uh, so 2012 we're talking about so over 10 years so it's obviously ranking very very well because the longer you have one the better it's going to be but um for new new therapists i see all the time in 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 facebook groups saying um i've got no clients i'm on psychology today and then they post their website and i think well where's your blog (laughs) right so jody i just want to slow you down for one second because you just gave us so many golden nuggets here that are worth repeating. And and one is, right, you own your website like you own your home, you rent social media. Number two is blogging isn't dead. And when you start blogging and you continue it, right, you start ranking better. And then is, right, if the clients or the type of traffic isn't coming and you go to the website, where is your blog? So take take it away from there. Yeah, so um, do you want me to go through my I've, – I've got 13 points of um, how this is useful. Would that be useful? Yes. Okay, so the first one is about building a strong online presence and becoming known as the go-to for your niche. So, um, you, you know, even if you have a Google ad and just say that person ranks number one and then you come – because you're, you're not paying for the ad – like me, for example, I always rank on the first page of Google for my keyword searches. Just say you ranked above me because you've paid for an ad and then there's me. People will still always choose me because when they go into my website and I have a blog, they're going to connect with everything that's on there. And you might rank higher than me because you've paid for an ad, but when they get there, it's like, well, who is this person? There's nothing, there's no content on there. It's just your website as such. So what we want to do is to, the more you blog, the faster you're going to get to the first page of Google. It's probably a little bit harder now than back 10 years ago, but it does work because I've just coached um, Karen Byman, one of my colleagues. She works with straight spouses when the partner has come out as LGBTQI. Within a year, she's got a full practice. Wow. And that's from blogging. So, and she, like, she's a very good example. Her niche is really quite uh, specific. So the first thing you need to do is have a niche. It's very specific. And she, to me, I wrote yesterday in a, in a post, someone was asking, uh, I've got a client whose partner's come out as trans. And I said, oh, I know the perfect therapist for you. Because Karen is known because she's putting work blogs out there, all that kind of stuff. So it will help you become known to your colleagues, like I am. Clinton Power used to say, "Ah, oh, eating disorders, Jody Gale," because I used to blog about them all the time. So uh, the second uh, reason it's great is to network with colleagues. So I actually started my blog after a blogging challenge, and I think uh, I can't remember it was someone on Psych Central, uh, Julie. I'm, I'm having a uh, can't remember her surname, but anyway, she ran a blog challenge, and uh, the whole lot of us 
every week wrote the, the the blog that she'd put out there and then we all shared it with each other. Uh, one of the other things that you can do is to get people to guest blog on your, uh, like like we're doing today, like ultimately your show notes are a, a blog. Uh, we just call them show notes when it's a podcast, but they function the same way a blog does. So, you know, once you start to have people guest blog or you're in a group, a blogging group, like anyone who purchases my blogging product, they, they're in my Facebook group. So you can really start to get referrals from therapists because, you know, every day, in my, every Thursday in my group, people are happy, I'm happy for people to share or like all the Marketing Monday posts. So once you start sharing your blog, People are like, oh, that's Jodie. She's the one that works with trauma and eating disorders. So it becomes very easy for people to remember you. And then you also get more more visualization. You're seeing more, right? Because yeah. maybe yeah. just in on somebody else's blog. Then you get fresh eyes from their audience. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And exactly like this is working. Like, you know, obviously you will share me and then I will share you. It's it's exactly the same thing as an interview, but it's a, it's a written, you know, it's a written word. So, yeah. So uh, number three is higher ranking on Google. So uh, for me, it took about six months and I, I started to notice an increase in inquiries. And um, after a year, I was full and that was since 2012. I have been full ever since with about 150 people on a wait list. So if, whenever I, like I've got two spaces available at the moment, but I'm about to take extended leave. So I haven't filled those before I go away. But I know once I come back, um, that they will probably fill within 30 minutes. So I never have to hustle for clients. And what will happen is, for example, just say you have a niche of anxiety, you will blog about everything you blog about is from here on in is about anxiety. And so, uh, for example, my niche, as I've mentioned, is trauma and eating disorders. So my ideal clients between 27 and 35, every single blog I write on jodygale.com is aimed at that client. And so when someone wakes in the night scared that they're fat or that they've put on weight or that they're starving when they go to bed and they put in counseling eating disorder manly guess who's going to show up at the top of the list because I've blogged about that so many times that my ranking I appear on the first page I think for all three of my websites due to blogging not only that then they get to start to know you a little bit because you've already provided content they might read something yeah. maybe you know, that's also a service that I think we forget that we're also providing another way of mental health service through our brain. Oh, absolutely. And for people, you know, I've had people write to me and say, look, I, I'm, I mean, people like in the most faraway places, you know, not coming for therapy, but just saying thank you so much. The way you write about eating disorders from that spiritual perspective, I've been in 10 treatment centres and no one's ever mentioned this to me before. Some treatment centres, people have said, no one has mentioned trauma to me before. And I'm thinking, this is the underlying cause of, of the majority of eating disorders. So for me, I think even just reading that can change someone's opinion about themselves. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I was going to ask you, well, your, your practice is already full. Why would you keep writing blogs? But I think that's the answer there. You are still serving at an even broader scope. 
Oh, absolutely. And of course, um, you know, I'm 52 now. And after um, having, I had a sabbatical in the pandemic. So one of my reasons that I keep blogging is to, uh, which I'll go on to later, talk, to talk about is to create uh, a more of an online presence to to start selling some courses and products and and the like. So they're great lead magnets for those things. But, yeah, so, the, um, uh, you know, after a year, um, you will see an increase in client inquiries. So, and it's for those reasons that we've just talked about because you will start ranking higher for your keyword searches. So what you will also do with a blog is put a call to action at the, at the moment, I mean, at the bottom, and what you will say is something like, are you struggling with an eating disorder I work from um, two offices, Manly and Lambie, and reach out if you need some support. So, again, you're using your keyword searches there, which is going to bump you up, which is, means you're going to get more client inquiries. And the other thing you mentioned about when people land as well, I work from an attachment perspective in long-term depth psychotherapy. I only take clients weekly. I build on purpose a transference with the clients. So from the minute they land on my website, they're starting to build an attachment with me. Love that. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm an attachment-oriented therapist as well, but that's beautiful. I've never heard it articulated like that. So yeah. Beautiful. And then they reach out. I read what you said about mother-daughter relationships. Okay, so I know we're already where we're going with this work. I know you, you know so many listeners to think about actually writing to start writing more this is so exciting and valuable jody oh absolutely and so then and you already touched on this it's a resource center for clients so for potential clients for current clients like i i don't know about you but you know sometimes you know you're in the session you think oh i like that janine roth chip chocolate and raisin exercise and I kept sending people to Janine Roth's website. And then I thought, oh, why don't I embed Janine Roth's YouTube clip into my website and send them to my website instead? <laughs> so, yeah, kill two birds with one stone. So what I do often when I blog is I think about, you know, my something that comes up again and again and again in my own practice. I blog about it and then I send people there instead of to external websites. So, And things like videos embedded are perfect because they keep people from an um, SEO perspective, they keep people on your website longer. Right. So embedding a podcast, embedding a video, embedding a vlog or, you know, that is a video, I guess. Embedding something using a beautiful image, it will keep people on your page longer and which will help Google, oh, this person must be providing great content because people are staying longer. Google likes that, and you're building intimacy with the, the consumer of it. Oh, absolutely. And also, you know, one of the, you know, I don't know if you, is it Kristen Bell or Kirsten Bell? She does that when her therapist, Jan Gray, goes away on holidays. Have you seen that? She sings a song to her therapist because the therapist is going on holiday and she's like, you know, having like attachment disorder sort of response as we all do when our therapist goes away. You know, it gives people a feel for the type of therapist that I am when I share, you know, and, and that might be off-putting to some clients. That's not the right client for me. If you want a medical model, eating disorders or a mental illness, whatever, I am not the right therapist for you. And it's very obvious on my website that, which means that you're not then, you know, wading through client calls of 
wrong clients. Exactly. And so we want that as as a basic marketing tenant, right? To attract your ideal clients and push away the ones that aren't who you want to work with, that aren't, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the next uh, really important thing, I think, is to provide professional credibility. So, you know, there's different types of posts. The way I see it, there's like connection posts. There's sometimes I think, oh, I haven't blogged for a while, so I might just do a little book review or something easy that's not going to take a lot of time. And then there's your big whammy sort of lots of research sort of posts where you're really positioning yourself as an authority in the field. And they're the kind of posts that people then say, oh, I'm going to send to Jody for eating disorder therapy. You know, one of the, you know, if you think about it historically, uh, magazines used to write about mental health topics. Half the time, the journalist wasn't a mental health professional. They get quotes from us, which is another way to um, to blog. We can guest post or we can submit um, quotes for certain articles. But on the whole, it's about therapists really claiming their space. And we're the experts in this field. So, in my opinion, it's it's our job to put ourselves out there and to educate the public about these matters, not, not waiting for Joe Blogs to do it for us. It really, I was thinking about this as you've been talking, we, we kind of mirror back that expert to ourselves and realize as we do this work, as we do the blogging, as we solidify our niche and and blog and write from, from our hearts, from our wisdom. Yeah right we are then also feeling more confident as therapists which is so important oh absolutely and also when you do those kind of blogs you have to do research and so um, in my blogging prompts that I sell on Etsy one of those is to find some current research and then blog about it so it's actually keeping you up to date it's like professional development in a way as well because you're researching your I mean for me I left school at 14 and nine months and my you know when I think about writing I'm I'm not a terribly believe it or not I'm not a great writer so for anyone out there thinking oh yeah but I can't write I used to get on there and use grammar girl I had to check is it this word or this word I'd go back a year later and think, oh, my God, there's a typo there. I read that 10 times. How can I have left that, you know, shame, the shame of a typo? But over time, I've become a better writer and still not perfect. You know, these days we were talking just before we started, just started running courses on using AI. And so that's really helpful for me because I write the blog post and then I put it into AI and it helps correct some grammar for me. Unfortunately, it always gives American spelling. (laughs) So I have to then go back and correct it again. But, you know, um, there's many tips and tricks and tools that we can use in our blogging, such as AI. I don't use that to write a whole blog. I, I just feel that that's, you know, too generic for me. But certainly, you know, there's certainly ways that there's lots of tips and tricks that we can use it for to help with our blogging. I mean, that's such a fascinating topic for me, other than the terrible American spelling. But <laughs> I guess kind of, Jody, I, I wonder, you know, when we're browsing the internet, we're reading these blogs, how do we even know if they're written by the author's voice or by AI? And, you know, you said blogging is not dead, but everybody knows AI is like there now. So, how do we set ourselves apart as an author with an authentic voice and a real message? Um, and maybe this is part of 
what you offer in your course. So yeah, well, look, I think it's an ethical issue, you know, and that's what I talk about in the course. I think it's an ethics issue, and um, also for me, it's an attachment issue because AI can only generate what's already out there. It can't generate something new. It's not that smart. <laughs> So do I, and, and basically I read somewhere, I can, uh, Emily Hirsch from Hirsch Marketing, so I want to reference her because this is where I read this. She said, everything that's not created by AI will gain more value. Oh, okay. Because everyone using AI is going to be pumping out the same stuff. <laughs> so for, for, for me as, a, as an attachment-focused therapist, I want clients to hear my voice in my website. So if I let AI write my whole blog post for me, and sure, you can give it prompts and ideas and whatever, but it is still very, look, put it this way, I think if, if we're looking at the type of therapy that it might put out of business, it would be CBT. It's not going to be art therapy or depth psychotherapy or uh, I don't use EMDR or anything like that, so I can't say. But, you know, it, it's quite solution-focused, generic responses to things. It's very, very useful for lots of things. But for me, I always start with my code of ethics. And so in terms of what I put in there, am I going against my code of ethics here in terms of clients? And also, how do I want to, do I want to feel good about myself in the world? Am I going to churn out someone else's thought? And also, it doesn't reference. So if I got that to write a full blog for me, how do I know that that doesn't belong to someone else? And so I use it to help me generate some ideas and I use it to correct my grammar but I wouldn't use it to write a full blog post for me. And, and I think you you can kind of tell, you'll, you'll start to be able to tell because, you know, people will say the same thing over and over and over again <laughs> because it, it's actually some days I yell at it and I think, you're meant to be smart. <laughs> like, you're actually stupid. <laughs> you know? The stilted words or language. And- <laughs> exactly. I think that's, it's so helpful and Beautiful how you describe like working from that attachment lens. You want your clients and your readers to know you and yeah. what you're and that absolutely an authentic place. And the other part of um your course, it just really does sound amazing and fascinating and kind of a different approach that we can learn how to to use AI to improve what we've already written or enhance it. Yeah, and look, it's a very it's an introductory course. It's not some big Fandango, you know, 10-week course or anything like that. It just goes for a couple of hours. But for people new to AI, and, and also, you know, I do see in, in Facebook groups, people say, I write my client notes with it. And look, I've got to say, I, I just think if this was taken to court and they asked who wrote these client notes, would this stand up in court? I don't know. <laughs> so I'm it's not something I would use it for and if 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 I was to I would absolutely be asking client permission to do that. But that's a whole other that's a whole other stream of AI, but you know in terms of blogging it's it's useful but it's not the be all and end all would be my stance on on AI and blogging. So yeah, we want people to to keep writing their own voices. So Oh, absolutely. So yeah, so look, the next the next thing that blogging is useful for is employment opportunities. So I actually had 
some therapists read my blogs on eating disorders. They started a clinic in um, Sydney run who was it was in consultation with Dr. Anita Johnston and eating, eating in the Light of the Moon author. And they reached out and offered me a job because they said, we love the way you think about eating disorders. The next number 12, this one was really important for me. So the sense of power and effectiveness. So I just remember moving home to Australia with this Medicare issue thinking, oh, everyone gets Medicare. I've just studied for for eight years to be a therapist and I can't get clients because I can't give Medicare. Woe was me. (laughs) And then I thought, hold on a minute. And someone actually told me people don't go for depth, weekly depth psychotherapy anymore. It's all short-term solution-focused, ACT, DBT, all the the acronym therapies. And I was like, oh, my God, like I've just trained in depth psychotherapy. And then I, excuse my language, but then I did a bit of a, oh, fuck you. I'm actually going to make a success out of this. (laughs) And so I actually feel that writing the blog was taking responsibility for my practice and really giving it a really good go to build the kind of practice that I wanted and that I felt was therapeutically sound. So that was really important to me. Beautiful, beautiful. It really, it gave you the empowerment and the agency to to yeah. where you want. And, you know, I think it could really also help therapists who we all struggle with imposter syndrome from time to time. And yeah. in the blog, again, you you get reflected back your expertise and that can be so confidence building. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, the last one for me is really important. Um, shine the light on your modality. So there's no psychosynthesis training in Australia. Um, it's very big in the UK very big, two really big major institutes. So for me, it was about, um, I knew that way down the line, I might like to do some psychosynthesis training. So for me, I was always writing from a psychospiritual perspective. And for, for me, that really stemmed from, I remember when I had my eating disorder, going to the GP and the way I was treated and pathologized, I just... Oh, I just felt it was so lacking. And luckily for me, I found a psychosynthesis psychotherapist who had recovered from anorexia herself, my beautiful first therapist, Penny. You know, for me, it was about really shining the light on this beautiful modality that I just feel, psychosynthesis therapists, we feel so passionate about psychosynthesis. And for me, it was around um, writing about my passion as well. And also for people who have maybe been in 10, 12, 14 treatment centres, actually, you are not the problem. Because young girls, I think, hold the hold the problem of the family, they're then pathologized and told they're the problem and their eating disorder is the problem. Their eating disorder is the coping mechanism. And so I wanted to shine the light on that and the way that I worked. And I think for people, you know, whether it's DBT, whether it's EMDR, whether it's, you know, like me, psychospiritual, it's great to educate the public about these things. Yeah. And just the depth of the impact of trauma that's involved with the eating disorder for the individual, for the family. Yeah. Generationally, it just really comes through as you describe that. How wonderful Absolutely. therapist that was able to help you so much and, and share with you, right? Clearly there was that attachment 
That was so absolutely. And I must say, the reason she was so fantastic is I'd actually had a peak spiritual experience swimming with wild, a wild dolphin in Ireland. His uh, his name was Fungi, and when I took that to therapy because I'd had this peak experience, and I thought I had this experience of you know, at the time I was also um, using recreational drugs for a very long time. So I had this natural high. So I was doing nature therapy way before I even did nature therapy. I took fungi to the therapy and I said, I've had this experience and I don't know what to make of it. And so what she used to do was she used to bring fungi into the sessions and say things like, would fungi worry about what he ate? And I was like, of course he doesn't. Or would Fungi worry about what he looks like, about being too fat? And I'd say, oh, don't be silly. Of course he doesn't worry about things like that. So she was using um, Fungi, what we call in psychosynthesis, an external unifying centre or what we would probably say now as a co-regulator until I trusted her enough to, to start trusting her. <laughs> yeah. So uh, very skilled, very skilled therapist. And thank you so much for sharing sharing that with us. That's just so profound that you had that peak spiritual experience and then it was used for your healing even further. Absolutely. And actually, two of my, um, I, I, well, I've guessed, so we'll talk about guest posting a little bit. So you can then go on and guest post for other people. So Recovery Warriors, I've submitted two posts and one of them was about um, how I healed my eating disorder by having a peak spiritual experience swimming with Fungi the Dolphin. So I've used my lived experience in blogging quite a lot as well, which, you know, some people are a little bit hesitant about. But in the eating disorder world, I think lived experience goes a long way in terms of helping other people recover. So, and I always think about is this in service of the client or the reader? Yeah, going from there. Well, and, and, your lived experience is giving that authentic voice to your blog and to what you're sharing. And those are the, the readers and clients you want to attract. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Well, this has been amazing to get these tips. We're going to include everything in the show notes. But, you know, I just am excited myself to think about blogging. I clearly have a website with some very old blogs. So <laughs> I guess that's a question. Like, can you just start again? Is that okay? Just like start up again? Absolutely. Look, I've got one blog that I've rehashed about five times. And so it was one that I did for the blog challenge. So it was one of my very first blogs. So 12 years, 10 years ago. And it was something about, it was something about finding value, meaning, and purpose in life. And I think I wrote originally about, oh, it was about how to overcome adversity. And so I used people like Viktor Frankl, famous people who have had crises and have overcome them. When the pandemic hit, I changed it, um, updated it to be relevant for the pandemic. Now that the pandemic's, you know, it, it's actually not, not over, over. But now that it's not in that crisis phase, I will probably go back and update it again. Uh, I've kept the same URL, but I've updated the links. I've got a list of books about overcoming on, on the blog there, so I might update that with a couple of new books. Google loves fresh content, and so I often go back and, and check all the links that they're not broken because that's not good when someone clicks on them. If you haven't written for a while, you basically just start again, and then you send your mailing list and say, hey, I bet you've been wondering where I've been. 
And here's my blog. And that's the thing that you do. You need to post your blog somewhere. So you need a mailing list. You send your mailing list, your blogs, and you nurture your mailing list before you try and sell them something. So, for example, I've got an inner child course coming up for my trauma warrior site and psychosynthesis, so one for therapists, one for the public. Every blog I write this year is on the inner child, and it's they're, they're a lead magnet to lead into selling my courses. Right. The magnet. You don't have to create something new. No, no. You nurture your mailing list with a blog every couple of weeks, like blog, 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 sell. This yeah. You, cool. you can't just decide I want to sell a course and, and not be doing anything before that. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's why courses don't fill, not because you're not a good therapist or you're not because you're not a good course creator. Your courses don't sell because you haven't nurtured your audience and led into them. Um, by nurturing them with something like a blog. So great. So great. That's just amazing <laughs> advice. And I know my listeners are going to want to learn more from you, Jody, because you're fun, you're inspiring, you're real. You yeah. these steps in like really simple, accessible ways. Like I already feel inspired and I have a million other things to do, but um, <laughs> oh, you mean I can just write the blog and send it out? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, you know, blogging, people often ask a blog or a podcast. Surely podcasts are more sort of trendy these days. Look, I, I did a podcast for two years and look at us. I've, I was up at 5.30 this morning. I had to do that all the time when I was podcasting. A blog, you can sit down, write a few words, come back to it later. It's actually not as labour intensive as a podcast in my opinion. So I take my hat off to you for you know, getting on the podcast train. But yeah, for me, it was, it's a lot, it's a lot easier to, to, to come, you know, when, when I've got five minutes here, five minutes there. So yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. Well, and, and so we have taken some very early morning weekend time from you. And I really appreciate you coming here and sharing your expertise on blogging and, your wisdom as as a therapist and as a human and someone who leads from the heart with my audience. Thank you so much, Jody. And I really acknowledge you for the tremendous work you're doing. Anybody who pops onto your website will see the reach and the effort that you put in to healing and making a difference in this world. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, that website that you're talking about is psychosynthesis.online. So that's my um, website for therapists. So, yeah, come on over. Psychosynthesis.online. And then um, is that where everyone can also find your courses on the blogging products? Yes, there is a page on there. It's probably easier to go there. I, you know, I can't remember what the page title's called, but you, it might say shop or something like that. But yes, you can see my AI for therapists, and I've got two blogging products which are fantastic. The first one's fifty-two blogging prompts, but it's so much more than that. And the second one is actually a calendar of it says three hundred and sixty-five days of awareness therapy awareness days, but there's actually over 900 days. And so what I do is use that for blogging inspiration. So just say today is National Depression Day, I would be 
a few weeks ago thinking about what kind of blog am I going to write about depression. So because I work with eating disorders, I'd write about depression and eating disorders. And then I would post it with National Depression Day hashtag. And so it, there's a there's 900 events on there that you could use for blogging inspiration. So they're my two main blogging products. So well, indispensable. And look at how how simply Jody made that right. She because she knows her niche, which is eating disorders. Then she just blogs about eating disorders with depression because it's National Depression Day. And so it's yeah. really a structure so that you don't feel completely overwhelmed. Oh, even things like I think there's chocolate cherry pie day or something. I, I could even weave that into a blog <laughs> with eating disorders. <laughs> well, and so for listeners, also Jody has given us a special discount. And if you enter heart 25, that's H-E-A-R-T 25, you'll get a discount on the two blogging products. So we'll link all of that in the show notes. And um I, ju- I just want to thank you again, and I can't wait to um, check out these these blogging products. They sound amazing, and would love to maybe invite you back when we can find s- some time and talk about eating disorders and trauma work too. Yeah, fantastic! I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun, and um, you know, we were just saying beforehand. I'm I'm actually off to Canada and the US in actually four days, and I'll be driving right past where you live. <laughs> way for sure. It's just been such a pleasure and a delight. Everybody, check out psychosynthesis dot online and Jody Gale. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.